input is it was the other one. It's still quite quiet for me. Mm. Let's go right there. We are. If you're, if you're, <laughs> go all lean. <laughs> do it all. Do it ASMR. ASMR. It start licking the licking the thing. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what's going to start the podcast this week. Then. <laughs> oh no! Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man Andy Gillard here. Hope you're all doing well in the world right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everybody is just doing okay because the nights are drawing in and it's getting dark super early and it's making people a bit sad. So I hope everybody's just doing all right. Yeah, it, it's getting to the stage where it's, it's almost dark on the school run now at half three. <laughs> it's really bad. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's got to the point where I need to wear trousers. Like I can't get away with just shorts anymore. Well, I've, I've gone the other way because I'd... I've got the, the work jeans back out of the wardrobe and obviously the old weight loss situation I had to belt up, which I hadn't done for a long time. Um, but then like, when I checked the weather last night, it, it was over 10 degrees in the morning. I thought, well, that's that's short weather, surely. So they were back, out, back on with a vengeance today. So long may that continue. Mm, well, I mean, it's not, it's not cold. I mean, I'm in the garage recording and I'm not, um, you know, I'm not in a big hoodie and a big uh, coat like I thought I'd be. So it's not cold. It's just um, it's dark. Yeah, not not great. But we are here to lift your spirits, if not the sunshine. Oh, <laughs> I don't know where the fuck I pulled that from. <laughs> uh, <laughs> obviously, because of our change to the system over Halloween, it's been a long time since we've done any news. It's probably been about six weeks or so. So I'm just going to blast through a few of the news headlines that have happened over the past six weeks with you fellas. So six weeks ago, we got the Mario Cast news due for release on the 21st of December next year. And the whole team got announced. So we have got Sebastian Maniscalco as Foreman Spike, Kevin Michael Richardson as Kamek, Fred Armisen, Seth Rogen's in there as Donkey Kong, Keegan-Michael Key as Toad. Jack Black's Bowser, Charlie Day's Luigi, Anya Taylor-Joy is Princess Peach, and the main man himself, Mario, is going to be voiced by Chris Pratt. Thoughts and opinions on this? Should they have cast the original Mario? Um, Charles Martinet, I believe his name is, has been given a cameo role, but should he have been given something a bit more substantial? Matt, what are your thoughts on this one? Oh, it's so difficult, this, because if they go down like the Detective Pikachu route with it and it just be like Mario's just a bloke, he's not in whatever the fuck land he's from. Um, Mushroom then Kingdom. It, the Mushroom Kingdom, thank you. Then it could be, it, they, they could do it, it could be voiced by anybody as long as they're fun and, you know. Um, but if they're doing, if they're doing it all Mushroom Kingdom style and it's not like real life Mario, then it, it's got to be the original guy really i mean he's iconic it's just that there's nobody else um i think the the whole cast it's gonna be so weird i think the only the only one who i can visually see or audibly hear is jack black as bowser yeah 100 percent. 
I think that's a really good cast, actually. Stu, what are you thinking? I think Chris Pratt just does everything now, regardless of if he needs to do it or not. I mean, the worrying thing is that there's no place for Cappy yet, unless Cappy's going to be a secret character where he doesn't speak, so obviously he's going to have a voice. But um, is it's fine. It's It's got names to draw people in who don't care, but everyone knows mm. what Mario is. So, But then if you look at people who don't care about Mario, probably the last time they played it was probably when he didn't have a voice anyway. So... The original guy is going to be getting on a bit, so mm. just get, just to giving him a little nice little cameo for his well done. There's your service medal. <laughs> There's your pocket watch kind of thing. Fine, nice, but it's not for them people, is it? It's to appeal to a wider audience, and you're going to have to get voice talent like this in to do that kind of thing. So no problem from me. That's fair. Uh, also six weeks ago, it was rumoured that Indiana Jones will be signing off the next film, passing the torch to Phoebe Waller-Bridge. So I'm looking forward to the Twitter meltdown when that happens, because, you know, we can't possibly have non-white, non-males given a chance in film. Five weeks ago, though, Netflix signed a deal with the Roldal estate, making uh, TV shows and films on his books. Apparently, Taika Waititi is already scheduled to do a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory TV series. Like, is there a more perfect marriage between property and director than Waititi and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? I think that's great. Are there any other books that you would be quite looking forward to seeing, Stu? Uh, Roldar books, anything? I'm probably in a healthy fascination with the BFG. For Yeah. And the animated film, not the well, I never saw the new one because I didn't want to. Um, Same, but it just looked terrible. But that for that that kind of thing would be ideal as a series, different adventures, that kind of thing. Mm. So yeah, it's when you say Roald Dahl to me, it's always BFG, regardless, every time. Yeah, that's fair. I, I did love that film growing up. I haven't seen it for so long. I don't know if it still holds up, but I kind of hope it does because it was like a big part of my youth. So, yeah, great choice. Matt, are you a Dahl fan? I am. I'm looking up at my uh, Roald Dahl collection in my garage that I bought about seven years ago to read to my eventual offspring whenever I have them. Um, Obviously... Matilda is so iconic. The Matilda mm. that we that we know now it would be a really tough follow. That, but I think a, a, an up to date Matilda would be good. And, and James James and the Giant Peach could be a properly exciting romp with special effects that we have, you know, these days. Um, so I think that'd be a really good um, watch as well. Um, some of the lesser known role dolls like the Twits as well would be really good. Yeah, I think the Twits would be my choice because that was the first book I remember reading like cover to cover. Mm. And I read it in a day and I was so proud of myself. <laughs> and, you know, it's only like about 90 pages, but at that time it felt monumental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that could be a really fun series and they can explore outside of the confines of the books. Just about these pair of horrible old knackers. I think <laughs> it'd be a really fun and funny exp- exploration. So yeah, that would be my pick. On the small screen though, Russell T. Davis was confirmed as returning to Doctor Who. Matt, do you care about Doctor Who? You don't, do you? Doctor Who gives a shit. Couldn't care less. <laughs> I had this conversation with uh, Ash Dolan the other day. We were texting each other about FIFA, as we usually do, pretty much daily. We were quite sad. And uh, we were just talking about films and the like, and he put Doctor Who, and I was like, what? 
And then he was like, what to my watting of Doctor Who? Um, yeah, it's not for me. Not for me, Jeff. <laughs> Stu, I know you're a fan. <sighs> Thank God. <laughs> I mean, we've been, we've been talking about this absolute shambles of the this mini series that's ending it all now. And it's just bollocks. It's just, it's just, it's turned into a joke. And obviously it's a, it's at heart a kid's TV series and it always will be, but there's been a kid's TV series and there's just been shit. And <laughs> what she's had to work with is absolute. Well, it's, it's nothing is it, it. There's hardly been any script. There's only, she's pretty much carried that show on her own. Mm-hmm. And it's like going back to the start. It's just going back to someone who knows what they're doing. So yeah, I'm, I was ecstatic with this. Yeah, I mean, I remember when because Chris Chibnall, who's the current showrunner, he wrote um, Broadchurch, which I think is his claim to fame, really. And that first season, he's excellent, really good. But ironically, it sort of falls off a cliff after the first season. And it didn't work when they transported it to America when he did Grace Point, I think it was mm. called. Um, and David Tennant went over with him and he didn't quite have that same feeling. So he feels like he's been a bit of a flash in the pan. And all of his Doctor Who episodes haven't really captured the imagination either. So I think he was a bit of a poor choice all round. I don't know why they picked him, but it's failed miserably. And as you say, I feel really sorry for Jodie because I think she's been a really good doctor who's just been given really poor scripts to work with, which is such a shame. It really is. I mean, it comes to something when, and my niece is what, she's she's 16, so she's grew up with it. She's watched it all throughout her, pretty much her entire life, watching Doctor Who. And she gave up after five episodes of the Jodie run. And you think, well, there's someone who you, you're kind of aiming these things at, like, teen-ish mm. and then man babies like us <laughs> and she's just quit she's just she's dropped out so some, you're gonna be taking a look at yourself when things like that start happening and she's obviously not the only one yeah that's it so four weeks ago and this is one thing that i know you do like matt the boys is getting a spin-off series um it's been mm. confirmed now it's described as a Part college show, part Hunger Games, following a group of hormonal teen superheroes as they put their powers to the test and compete for the best contracts in the outside world. Don't know a lot about this, but I've got to say I'm, I'm excited just from anything more of the boys because that's been a real revelation over the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I just hope that it's not. It almost seems like The Boys hasn't been around long enough as a TV show to start a spin-off yet. Like, it's almost as if we're we, we, we're saying goodbye to that world and now we're introducing the spin-offs because we've we've, we've dried the well of The Boys where we've, we haven't at all, really. So it, it seemed like strange timing, really, to release a spin-off. But if it's done in the same style, I read an article about how, like, one of the shows is going to be like a thriller and the other one's going to be like a comedy kind of thing. Like, it's going to be very tonally different. Mm-hmm. Um best way so, to do it i think yeah yeah so i think you know in, in that respect yeah i'm all for it um if it's anything like the the boys then you know more is better i suppose more than more than more the merrier mm. i hope that they just embrace garth ennis because obviously the creator of the original series his voice lends itself very well i think to both comic books and tv so 
yeah, the more Garth Ennis in the world, the better for me. Stu, you're a boys fan as well. You got a, <laughs> that sounded well, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you got into boys this year, didn't you? So, are you was looking it, forward to the spin-off? Was it this year? It was either this year or last year. But they're, they're kind of blending into one day. <laughs> um, <laughs> within within the last twelve, well, twelve eighteen months, I'd say, yeah, I I loved it. I don't know, I, I I said at the time, I don't know why it took me that long to get to it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, this it sounds like the boys cross Squid Game. So, and <laughs> since that, since that is obviously, oh, we'll talk about it later, I suppose. But that is all anyone's talking about at the minute. Getting on the whole battle royale, getting Hunger Games, going to elimination kind of uh, TV st- stuff. Then bring it on. Like I said, it's it both seems like soon and not because it's it seems like it's been around a lot longer than it has. Um, yeah, well, it was 2019, I think, was the first season. And I th- because we had that first season all in one go, it doesn't feel like yeah. we've really had a long life with it. Because we've had effectively one day and then the second season was split across seven or eight weeks. So I think maybe a little bit is down to that, possibly. I don't know. Uh, also, four weeks ago, Scarlett Johansson tries to sue Disney. Uh, three weeks ago, Scarlett Johansson and Disney settled their lawsuit. <laughs> I'm guessing that she got paid, to be perfectly honest. That's the only way they're going to get rid of that. Two weeks ago, the DC fandom went down. We got to see some footage from Black Adam, confirmation that Linda Carter will be in the next Wonder Woman film. We got the new The Batman trailer, footage from the Flashpoint Flash movie, Super Pets teaser trailer, as well as footage from animated live TV shows, comic books. They gave us everything that you wanted to know about anything DC. And it was a glorious evening spent in the Gillard household. Uh, was there anything which stood out for you fellas on the DC fandom? Matt? Um, looking forward to all and any news about the Sandman Netflix series, to be fair. I believe they had a slight bit of casting news uh, for um, Lucifer Morningstar, and they they give a little bit of information here and there about the Sandman series. I've just finished the second audiobook um, on my daily commute. Um, the book, The audiobook itself isn't fantastic really mm. um it's a bit of a from what i understand because i've not read the source material it's a bit drab it's a bit depressing and it's a bit it's overly like moody i think but um i'm really looking forward to the show i think it'll be it'll be a sh- it's going to be one of these things where i i don't know if everyone's going to get it because i, I don't necessarily no. think i get it like <laughs> n- i'm two audiobooks down i don't really know what's going on the, the comic book is very similar. Like it, it jumps about time and place, and just because we see them one way one time, someone else might see them differently. So from a different perspective, they look different. So mm-hmm. I think it could be a struggle for some people. Uh, but I, I agree. I'm really looking forward to Sandman just because I, I love the books. So that should be excellent. Stu, anything at the DC fandom for yourself? Obviously, this kind of events my idea of absolute hell. Watching trailers, so I didn't, didn't watch. The only things I, I watched the um, the two game trailers and um, the Suicide Squad game looks superb. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait for that. And was it, I, I've mentioned before that I didn't really like the Arkham games anyway. It's not really mm. my kind of thing, but this looks superb. 
So yeah. I mean, I know I know I'm going to watch all the the films anyway. So there's no point in me watching any of this stuff. <laughs> it's it's it preaching to the converted there with with these. So I'll be there for each one of them. Probably half, but <laughs> yeah, it's. I like that they kept it though. After after last after they did it last year, I thought well, it was a nice idea and it was kind of well thought out for the times as well. And I, I like that they've kept it in the format that they did. Mm, same. I think it's a really clever way of getting your stuff out there and making everyone feel involved. It's yeah. a really clever marketing tactic. Is it always like, so like hokey with like? The Rock doing this pre-clip video yeah. going, hey, fandom, this is The Rock. And, and it'd it just be very, like, feature presentation, almost like a salesman's pitch. Are they all like this? Well, last one was as well. But yeah. don't forget, like, they're going out to the entire world, to mm. everyone from five years old to 38. Don't these so, things sell yeah. themselves, though? Like, it just seems a bit, seems a bit Carney-esque. They do a bit, but at the same time, there was some proper obscure Aquaman animated show that's like immediately. I've no idea where it is, but I'm like I'm invested in it already now. Mm. So the stuff that goes out that you don't necessarily find out about unless you're a hardcore fan. So this is more for the I don't say neutrals, but for the casual fan, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you've got. Batman tattoos, and you're going to be wanking off over all this all day long. So it's it's not for us, Matt. That's the thing. It's not it's not for us uh, sensibilities. It's hey, for the, you're uh... talking to someone who's got a tattoo from the Arkham game over here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it was the the Super Pets teaser <laughs> trailer because I, I knew about everything else that was going on. So the Super Pets one was something new. And obviously, you've got The Rock as Crypto the Dog, Super Dog, sorry, and you've got uh, Kevin Hart as Ace the Bat Hound, and it just looked really fun and silly yes. and something different. So I quite liked that they were going for something completely opposite to everything else that they've produced. So I thought that was pretty cool to, to watch. Uh, about a week and a bit ago was the tragic accident on the set of Rust. Helena Hutchins was accidentally shot and killed in an on-set accident. I mean, this is just terrible, devastating news. And news has been coming out consistently about all the issues that have been on set. It's a truly awful tale. And really, there's not much more that we can be said about it, but awful. Uh, most recently, though, Deadline have been reporting that Brendan Fraser is going to be in the Batgirl movie. Um, he's reportedly playing the pyromaniac villain Firefly. I've got to say, like, after all the most recent news reports, like there was people body shaming um, Brendan Fraser on Twitter because he'd put a bit of timber on. He'd struggled after his divorce with alleged monetary issues. He'd apparently been blackballed from Hollywood. I'm I'm kind of delighted to see him now seemingly having the most fun he's had in years. You see him in interviews and he seems to be, like, properly loving his newfound celebrity. Uh, Mm. Is it just me? to see him back he seems like a nice bloke and he always has done i think i know mm. you, you you can never really tell with these things and it's all very most of the time they're all media trained up to the eyeballs but he's never seemed like that he's always seemed also ian wright like <laughs> yeah ian wright, ian wright to the film world where he's he's a bit rough and ready he's always had a bit of a laugh with everything and he's he seems to just enjoy himself 
rather than it being a chore like it is to some people. So, yeah, I mean, uh, he's he's got that kind of face. He, he just makes you smile and seeing him back and seeing him enjoy himself again, it's superb. Matt, Jack, are those thoughts? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, I love it. He could just stick two fingers up to the to the horrible people online. But the, the, the sad irony to all of this is he wouldn't be enjoying this newfound celebrity without all the people and the body shaming and everything else, really, because mm. was anybody talking about Brendan Fraser prior to him being called out for his weight? Probably not. Yeah, I know what you mean. So it's, it's strange. It's just complex and strange kind of thing that's going on, really. Fair fucks to him for making the most of it and then actually getting work out of it, to be perfectly honest. I think that's completely fair. Uh, and we'll finish off our rundown with... Uh, a quick Star Wars info dump, I suppose, for want of a better word. So since we've last been on, we've had the Book of Boba Fett trailers come out. Former Dr. Matt Smith has confirmed that he was in talks to play a character in Rise of Skywalker. To quote him, he said, we were close to me being in it, but then it never quite happened. I think the thing they were thinking for me, eventually that part became obsolete. The more I learn about the production of this quite frankly, maligned film, the more I want to see the original uh, Colin Trevorrow version of it. Like we've heard a few little bits about Rise of Skywalker that makes it sound like it was going to be much more interesting than what they ultimately delivered. So I feel like we've been let down a little bit there. And last of all, Patty Jenkins' Rogue Squadron film has been delayed. Uh, she's got Wonder Woman and Cleopatra-shaped hurdles coming up. So it's looking likely that it's going to be 2024 rather than 2023. Right, so I've done enough talking for now. So, Matt, have we had any listener questions? We have. We have. The faithful followers of this humble podcast have been uh, at it again. So let's go straight into it. I'm going to go straight into Nick Cage-related question from Matt Cunnington. Short and sweet, what is the best Nick Cage Christmas film? Stu, you're the authority on this. Well, we just keep, seem to be discovering them all the time, don't we? That we we never a year ago that we never knew existed. I'm still <laughs> say, I'm still saying Trapped in Paradise. We were too harsh on that film. We were way too harsh on it. Oh, I don't think we were harsh enough. I don't think we were harsh enough. No, no, that was a shocker. Um, we we've got one coming out in a couple of weeks' time. The Family Man. I mean, as far as I'm aware, they're the only two that he's done. We may, as you say, we may find more as we go down the line. <laughs> of the ones I've seen, The Family Man is better. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good Christmas film. <laughs> no, it's 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 being electrocuted to death or it's being pushed into an electric fence at a farm, isn't it? Like, you, you get electrocuted either way, but one is dramatically less severe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't you, do you uh, like... Didn't you like used to like that though when you know the ones where the, when the goat pen where you just touch it it's like ooh it's like I a little tingle. <laughs> yeah, well you're you know you don't they don't call you the S in Stu isn't S and M for a reason it's Stu so <laughs> um, so Todd uh, wants to know or uh, a statement almost um, we like to watch movie series over the holidays we've watched Star Wars Fast and Furious Harry Potter Jurassic Park and Evil Dead. So what series should they watch this year? Transformers. Straight no. away. No. Um, it's a happy no. season, Stu. You know, it's meant to be full of cheer and yeah. pleasurable things. I 
I really fancy watching the View Ask Universe, the Kevin Smith, Clerks, Mall Rats, all of those films again. So, yeah, I'd go with that one, the View Ask Universe. Sure. You know what? Go on, justify your pick. Because Transformers is great, but if you, if not Transformers, you want something for that time of year. I mean, I, I usually don't watch anything other than Christmas films from mid-November onwards, other than for this. Um, but for kind of feel-good family fun, the Pirates of the Caribbean films, up to a point, of course. But the, <laughs> the first three especially, why not? Mm, yeah, I suppose you got to kind of do it all, though, haven't you? So you've got to you've got to suffer through all of it. Then, in that case, I get what you're saying. Though I get what you're saying. Uh, Andrew Wright wants to know if you had a typical day at your workplace made in a film with a runtime of ninety minutes to two hours. Who would you choose to direct it, and who would provide the score? Very good. Oh, the score. Um. So, like, because I work from home, it would be one of, like a one-hander film where it would just be a guy in the in this chart all time. I assume that would have been because it's just the Pornhub tune over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> <laughs> that, the snippet at the start. Yeah, that's it. Um, like, so my day would probably be closest to. Uh, have either of you seen Lock with Tom Hardy? He plays uh, yeah. a. Yeah, he's a guy who something massive is happening in, in his life. So he has to get in his car and drive somewhere. And on the way, the story unfolds as he's making phone calls to his wife, his brother, and all this. So I would probably go with Tom Hardy directing and starring, and I would want him to channel that role. I would probably go with Danny Elfman because we can have a Simpsons soundtrack to it as well. Yeah. <laughs> Stu, who do you want to be directing the film of your work day? Well, you seen me, well, semi saw me on my work day, and it's, it's a similar thing there because I'm mostly on left to my own devices. So you want something uh, like, oh, who directed 1917? Was it Sam Mendes? Who directed 1917? Yeah, I think it was, wasn't it? Something like that, just to, I'm guessing, I'm guessing it was. So I've got that in my yes, mind. Yes, it was. It was, yeah. Well, I'd um, assume, Stu, that in the wacky world of your workplace and some of the more colourful characters, that you'd have had um, David Lynch as your... <laughs> uh... it, it'd be too bland for him, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so you, and you, if, you, if you're going for the war theme, a lot of the people look like they've been bombed in there. So, um, yeah. And the, the score, I'd go for... A bit some Harry Gregson Williams, a bit left field. But if you've got the emotion of the the early morning shadows, but then you've got the excitement of the people who finished uh, finished their, their shifts from the night work. So then it's a bit uplifting again, then it goes all sombre when they all leave and the uh, the early morning old people leave to go back to sleep in their coffins. So yeah, someone someone <laughs> who's got a bit of um bit of variation about them, so there's mine. <laughs> Very good, I like it. I like it. Uh, moving on, T. Kearney wants to know, when weighing up your favourite films, what carries more weight? A film that you can watch whatever the mood, or a film that, when you're in the mood for it, blows you away? Oh. That's that. really tough. That is a really tough question. If I wouldn't recommend a film, like The Godfather, obviously, is a classic movie. 
but I couldn't sit and watch that anytime. That's not the type of film I could recommend where mm. Shaun of the Dead I can put on at absolutely any point and I would tell everybody to watch it. When it comes to my top five list, it would probably be the film I have watched most. So I think it probably would be whatever your mood is, it can take mm. you. Yeah, I okay. think it, it does edge it personally. Stu, your thoughts? It's very distinctly favourite or bestie. Mm. Um, most of the time, not I'd say my favourite, which is going to be some stupid. So that, that's the just that's just the way that I'd go because some of the, the odd weird stuff that I've watched in the past, a lot of people are not like things like Donnie Darko, which I know is very and Memento and things like that's all very odd and strange and. Mm-hmm. You've got to really. I've got to be in the right mood for that. I mean, you couldn't watch that after a session. Well, you could, but you and you might get more out of it. But <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to go with favourite just for the reasons that things like if you say like Born Ultimatum or something like that, you, or the Expend, Expendables Two, that you watch after after the, the pub with a kebab, then it's easier to recommend it that way. So yeah, I'll go favourite. Okay, yeah, I think it's a tough one that really because. Again, just because like something you find like funny, so let's say Spinal Tap, I find really, really funny, one of my funniest films of all time. Um, I don't think I can watch it whatever mood I'm in. Like I still have to have a be in a mm. mindset for it. Whereas, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one that really. I think when a film that you can watch wherever you're in where, with whatever mood you're in, you can still watch it can't mean that much to you emotionally on this you know it can't it, it can't push you in too many directions because you can watch it in any mood that you're in it's, it's mm-hmm. not enhancing anything so much so it must be quite tepid i don't know might be reading too much into that to be fair um so last question and i'm going to ask you i'm going to split the question into two for each of you so um, david evans wants to know put together your ultimate spider-man movie only one character slash actor allowed from each of the current or real life animated incarnations is way to say you can't choose another from the same universe so to speak so give me um stew give me the spider-man who's going to be the spider-man from um the hmm. world of spider-man so far are we classing it as spider-man and peter parker is the same person in this or you want a spider-man and a peter parker no there's no peter parker on the list so it's just spider-man slash peter parker because after watching it, after watching the amazing Spider-Man films recently, I thought Andrew Garfield was the best Spider-Man. Hmm. But all hmm. round, you probably have to go with Tom Holland. Okay, so bearing in mind that Andy, you can pick the villain, but you can't be from the same universe. Okay, so I can't have a Garfield villain. Mm-hmm. Correct. Right. Okay. So. I think the best villain throughout has probably been Doc Ock. Like, I think even if I had a free hit anyway, I think Doc Ock has has been in the best Spider-Man film out of all of them. I think he was the most believable villain. He was the one you sort of rooted for because he had a reason. Um, He was not two-dimensional, which pretty much everyone else has been. So Mm. for that reason, yeah, I think I'd go with uh, Fred Molina as uh, Doc Ock. Okay. Love interest, Shoe. 
Oh, dear. Hmm. Well, we've only got one left now, maybe so. I suppose you've got animated, I guess. Um, the okay, okay. the um, Spider-Gwen from uh, Spider-Verse, then. Okay, very good. And Andy, I'll give you the free hit. A character not yet seen in any of the films. Oh. See, I, I would say... I'm going to have to cheat a little bit. I really want to see Black Cat in one of the films. We have technically seen Felicia Hardy, who is Black Cat. She was um, Felicity Jones's character in Amazing Spider-Man 2, but she was just Harry Osborne's assistant. She would, she never got anything beyond that, so we never saw her as Black Cat. Mm-hmm. I would like to actually properly see a Black Cat in the MCU, and I think you could get quite an interesting love triangle then on the go, mm, especially like with it. someone like uh, Spider-Gwen. That would be quite interesting, having two opposing superheroes vying for Pete Parker's love. I think that would be quite cool. There we go. Well, there we go. So those are the questions. Thank you, everyone, as always, for getting in touch. If you are a debutante and you've not sent us a question, please do, because it will get read out. Um, so if you're new to our podcast and you're one of our newer listeners and there are there you know we are slowly slowly getting those numbers up so you are out there get in touch with us and get a question read out and um we will ponder over your musings so please do get in touch on the twitter or at cagefightingpod at gmail.com lovely matt i'm coming straight back to you because for the first time ever hot take corner is coming from your brain it is and i'm pissed off andy (laughs) tell me why matt tell me why i'll tell you why Ain't nothing um, but a <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got a bit of an axe to grind at the moment with what is seemingly being the hottest ticket in town, and that is the multiverse. So everything is a pissing multiverse out of nowhere at the moment where it's people tampering with the space-time continuum or something or another, and we're getting different strands of the same person but played by different actors and it's just it it just seems so messy and so unnecessary and it seems like a really lazy way of freshening up stories instead of making new stories as far as i'm concerned and i think that by by being able to shoehorn in cameos from other worlds or the same universe but the same actor in a different time it's just it's going to be at the sake of actually good storytelling for the sake of a gimmick a re- like a wrestling gimmick, like the Mountie. I don't know why I bought said the Mountie, but um, <laughs> am I being a grumpy old man shouting at a cloud, or will the universe, or will the multiverse die out quicker uh, than 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 we can imagine? Discuss. Um, I know what you mean because everything seems to, every single remote thing in the entire world seems to have to connect to each other, be just to sell cereal. And stuff like that, and it's there is there's got to be a limit on it. I mean, forever I've always thought that it'd be amazing if you had someone from Emmerdale popping up in Coronation Street as the same character, and it's never been done because <laughs> it just connect them or or go completely wild and go EastEnders to um, Coronation Street. See what happens there. But you are right; it's it's not been. Old man shit in the clouds. It's just certain things don't have to connect. You can just have your own story and leave it at that. But 
if it makes sense, then go for it. At the same time, you just got you got to know where the limit is, and a it lot just, of it. Yeah, it just seems strange timing that everything all of a sudden it just seems to be the thing to do. And I think it, 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 for me, it's just like uh, my concern is with it all. It's going to be. I don't think you have to make sense, and it can be really bad plot holes. And you can, they'll just be able to throw their hands up and go, ah, but it's the multiverse. We, it doesn't exist. So we can just do whatever the fuck we like with it. Like sparkly vampires in twilight. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's a license to, it's a license for bad storytelling, in my opinion. You know, and then you, I think you're going to disagree with me, but. I am on the basis that I've spent decades reading the comic books where the multiverse has been a thing. Mm. So it's not like it's a new gimmick. It's just new to casual viewers, people who don't have the history of reading the comic books. I mean, I'm not saying that's you know a knock on anybody. That's it's a perfect legitimate criticism because it is so difficult to jump into the comic book world because where do you start, especially when there's all this history mm-hmm. in several different universes here, there, and everywhere. It feels like by bringing it into the films, and this is going to be more of a knock against Marvel than it is DC, it feels with Marvel that it is an excuse to just, as you say, try and do these shitty storytelling devices. Whereas I feel with DC, because they've got this history of your Superman, your Batman, your Arrowverse, they've got this history of everything already being fractured. Mm. That it kind of makes sense that they've got these out of continuity stories that all sort of do exist, but just in different planes of existence. Whereas Marvel just feels like it's a gimmick because everyone knew that Flashpoint was coming. So we'll jump on that train. Mm. So it does feel like a bit of a cheap gimmick to me with Marvel more so than with DC. I think you'll find it'll die out when the normal people get completely confused by it all. Yeah, (laughs) there is that. And it kind of happened on Saturday. I don't know how, again, these things get onto it, but I was talking to my about... um, it wasn't any of this. She's um, she got really confused by something, and I said, "Well, yeah, it was like when the uh, when they brought the multiverse into the Flash." And she went, "Yeah, but that's when uh, in the TV series is yeah, but that's when I stopped watching it because it didn't make any sense. It was too unbelievable." <laughs> went, so that's the point where you say this silly comic book TV series goes too far because it brings the multiverse in. And she went, "Yeah, because it's nonsense," and. If that's a woman in her 60s who watches all this stuff anyway at the cinema, you are going to get people with the same reaction. I mean, I can, the first time I would think I, that I can remember seeing it on screen was the much maligned The One, Jet Li's The One, where he's fighting multiple versions of himself. I know TK's going to get mad about mentioning this film again, but <laughs> I can't remember a, a multiverse film, maybe the 80s that I can't it's been a long time ago, but when that came in the early 2000s, I thought, oh, this is a really cool idea. But then we we went years and years, and it's been, well, until now, really, that, the, that it's come in. So, yeah, I think it will die when people get too confused, and it's left to, left to just us hardcore. Let me follow. Let me follow on from this. I'm going to I'm going to talk you through a text exchange from me and Tom Keeney from um, from a couple of days ago. Um, he's put. It, so this is completely out of the blue. Like you start, like, like normal people start conversations without a hello, straight into the opinion. I'm scared that my beloved Spider-Man is going to be nothing but complete and utter fan service in the new film. That's what he's texting me. 
Um, so annoyed at the internet for just revealing everything about it and the multiverse. And I've just put, to be honest, the whole multiverse thing for both Marvel and DC does little to nothing for me, is what I've replied. And he's put, and I think this is a point, and I want to get your opinion on this point. Yeah, I don't need to see the Spider-Men of the past. It feels like they've skipped a step and gone meta before they've even done loads of soul Spider-Man stories like Venom or the Sinister Six. So should, are they skipping a step... Are they skipping a step to catch up? Are they skipping steps just to be cool and relevant before they've explored actual good stories that still need to be told? Well, Venom's not a good story, <laughs> neither of them. Um, so I think that's a case. I think, of... I think in relation to the actual Spider-Man. Yeah, I know. I know what he means. Yeah. yeah. Mm. The, Sp- the Tom Holland Spider Man so weird anyway compared to what the other ones were, and you you had the the nano suit pretty much straight away anyway, <laughs> with the in his second full appearance in in Infinity War where you got the little the the legs coming out the back, mm. and you think well this has already gone way further than any of the other ones, so mm. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it's it's too soon. I, I think these people have got limited time that they can play these characters for That's before, true. That's before they get yeah. to, before yeah. they get too old. So I think they've just got to do what they can in the time that they've got. Yeah. Um like I think part of the problem is is ideally Marvel would have wanted to have had Spider Man there from day one rather than bringing him yeah. in however many years down the line. So they've sort of they haven't played catch up. They've just sort of jumped over a massive portion of it. Um, you are right, though. I mean, like the Venom symbiote thing—that's a huge story and a huge part of Spider-Man's backstory that they've just kind of ignored. But because they went straight to the world finding out about Peter Parker, they've gone to—is it one one day more? Is it or whatever the that awful Brian Michael Bendis story was? where he tries to undo knowing who he is. So that they've just jumped about a little bit too much. I don't think... I think I agree with Tom. I think I would have preferred them to have gone a different route and explored other stories first, personally. Well, there you go. There's my hot, hot take. Superb. Wonderful. So the non-film question is up next. And we're coming to you, Stu. Yeah, so... The- when I, when I proposed it, it was way more technical than I'm going to talk about it now. That when you watch f- films are made in 24 frames per second, so we all know that. Well, most people know that. So, and it's almost, almost like when you watch a film on telly, especially with, again, the old people, and they don't turn motion plus off, and everything, everything, or the old soapbox effect. So why... Is it such a big deal? <laughs> because for for the majority of people, they probably don't care. But when we get like games, I mean, what version of um, Forza Five are you playing in? That are you playing in performance or quality? Quality. Yeah, but so, I, I, like this, it, I found this bizarre. I was like, why are they asking me to pick what version of, I want to watch it in? I just thought uh, I'll pick the one that looks the best, which is quality, presumably. Yeah. So, well, in theory. Because quality mode's thirty frames per second, mm-hmm. performance mode is sixty, so it, it's it runs smoother. And when you look at them side by side, if you've got unless you've got laser eyes, you ain't going to be able to tell much difference. 
but quality mode quality mode looks the best but it doesn't run the best so it's a, this is another one of these weird things where we have these th- things with games and animated animated things it's like into the spider verse as well how spider-man himself is animated at a different frame level to the actual background and everything that's why it looks so unique but it works I for do that. love that though I think that because that is so unique it looks incredible and it probably wouldn't translate if they tried to do that in a live action film like no, I don't it's... think they could do like the Mandalorian because obviously that is shot against a moving screen isn't it they couldn't put them at different rates it would look horrendous but in that film it it adds a dimension to it and it looks incredible when they do it yeah so why then does Anything other than twenty-four frames per second for film looked terrible, like the Hobbit films in that that little experiment that failed. I can only think it's because what we have got used to over the years, we've got so many years' experience of seeing films in twenty-four frames per second that anything else looks fake almost, even though it's probably more real because it's smoother. I don't know if it's maybe our eyes don't. Maybe we don't process it in the same way. I, I genuinely don't know the answer to this. I've seen stuff where they filmed it in 60 or, or even up to like 300 frames per second they can do. And it it looks bizarre. So I think the scenes in Dread 3D, you know, when it actually goes into the 3D moments, like when Mama pushes the guy out of the window and he's falling backwards. When you watch that in the context of the film, it really takes you out of the moment because everything else looks sort of normal and then it goes into this hyper realistic moment and it's just too much it, you just i just can't comprehend it i, I don't know what it is mm, i my answer to you Stu, is i haven't got a fucking clue what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> um i've got a clue what you're talking about mate if i'm being perfectly honest with you all i remember is back a, a while ago i remember someone talking about a tv and going this tv displays a better picture than your eyes can do itself. And I was like, right, but then you're not going to be able to see it if your eyes can't see that picture quality, surely. They're like, oh, yeah, but, it, it, you know, it's got the capability of doing it. I was like, well, don't fucking matter then, does it? Like, <laughs> if your eyes can't see it, then what, what's the point? Um, I don't know. I, I'm gonna. You're gonna have to find a video for me, Stu, of examples of these different frame rates, so I can see it. Okay. What you've got, to, what you've got to understand is, I've only just got a 4K telly. Um, so to me, I'm still like, I'm still in Wonderland here. This is this is going from color. This is going from black and white to color for me. Just having the new Xbox and a 4K telly. So, do you know what I mean? I'm 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 still baby steps for me. Put Spinal Tap on, and go into the set video settings of the telly. And put it on true motion or one of the one of the modes like that. It'll, it'll come up as motion smoothing, and look at the difference, and it'll it won't look the same to you. Okay, okay, I will. Yeah, it does. It changes it completely. It's it's disorientating. Uh, yeah, I don't like it. Great question, though, Stu. I mean, that is proper technically nerdy, even <laughs> for us. <laughs> uh, so the next question is the old faithful. What have you been watching lately, Matt? What's been on your telly box and or cinema screen? Well, I saw the wonderful, excellent um, Last Night in Soho at the cinema the other day. Um, slightly late to the party, I think, on you, Andy. I think you'd already seen it by that point. Yeah. Um, God, it was an incredible film. I 
went into it very little expectations thought it was going to be more of a horror film um so i was a little nervous um mm-hmm. but it's just a it's just a really wonderful film that is really made me come out of it thinking god men are bastards aren't they <laughs> like more so than like any kind of um, awareness post by a celebrity on Instagram or more than any documentary I've ever watched. I really came out of this film thinking, God, we really need to do better. We need to call out certain behaviors and we need to do this. Like, and I couldn't believe like that this film did that really um, more than a lot of other things. It's just really well done music. The music and it's fantastic. Aesthetically, it looks beautiful in parts and, really jarring in others it's just a really great film i'm really really glad i took the time to see it um also started well i watched the 20th i think it is anniversary of harry potter at uh, the philosopher's stone listen it's mind numbing films but i do really enjoy them it's it's my it's my fast and furious i think the harry (laughs) potter films like I, i i can't justify them so much as i can only tell you that i really enjoy them and that's it's good enough for me. Imagine that as a multiverse, the Potterverse, Potterverse class, class with Dom. Fast and Furious, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I love Incre- it. Well, well, you've already got that flying car in in the Chamber of Secrets, so maybe that's <laughs> going to be the that's going to be the gateway, isn't it? Into yeah. it. Um, and um, obviously June, which I think we're probably going to talk about at a later date, or as a little side ep, maybe. Um, and only today, hot off the press. I only watched about three quarters of it. Um, So I can't tell you how it ended. (laughs) However, I watched um, a Netflix film called Love Hard. Now, it's not what you think it is. It's a semi-ish Christmas love story with a twist that's actually got a surprising amount of heart and is quite funny in parts for what is clearly a silly, lovish story about catfishing, basically. Um, but it is quite fun. I, it might, I mean, it might have ended horrendously and they all die in a big fire, but I don't believe that'll be the case. <laughs> um, so I will catch the remaining kind of 15, 20 minutes. But, you know, if you need to watch a bit of a silly, soppy film where you know exactly where it's going up to a point, um, you can do you can do worse than Love Hard on Netflix. Fantastic. Stu, what about yourself? It's been a, an adventure to, <laughs> to and from the cinema in the last six weeks. Um, no time to die. We've been waiting waiting two years to watch this film. Was it worth it? Probably not. But <laughs> it's you know it it, it ran things off for Daniel Craig pretty nicely. I thought, and it it had its moments. It's nowhere. It's not his best film, but it's nowhere near his worst either. Um, it's more than enjoyable. And then. Like the rest of the world, Squid Game, <laughs> which when I saw I saw it on there, I thought, uh, like, just looking for Love Hard there to add to the list. There's another one, another Christmas film on there on the UK number one list, and Squid Game was there for a while. I thought, oh well, okay, it's obviously got something about it. People will talk about it for a while, then it'll go away. But no one stopped talking about it. Mm. Mm. I thought, well, I. Now I'm forced into it. Now I need to be part of the conversation. <laughs> have you not watched? Have, have you finished it now, Stu? Oh yeah, I did. It, I watched it a, a long time. I watched it in the space of three days. Yeah, yeah. And thankfully, before all the memes and stuff started, so I was um, in, in the loop of that from the start. But yeah, it's. I loved it. It was great. 
and you, you, it's got to be added to the very short list of TV shows I've cried at because won't spoil it for those who haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Angle. But man, I was literally like, I was, I was like a like a prom girl who hadn't been picked. <laughs> Yeah, the, the Gamble episode is just devastating, isn't it? Really, really good. Excellent yeah. TV show. It feels like it's this year's Tiger King, maybe. Yeah, Would maybe. That be accurate. When it, oh, there was another one as well, like, like Midnight Mass, which came out the same week or around about, around about the same time. And yeah. with a hopefully one day friend of the show, Roll Coley, um, <laughs> which was the reason I watched it. And it was batshit crazy. It started off as just a sleepy little drama about some, well, it's that strange that you don't really want to talk about it that much because it, it starts off, it's like a Catholic Catholic little fishing village off just off the coast of some nondescript town in America where there's probably about 100, 130 people that live there and then some weird shit goes on and then everything all goes crazy and it turns into something completely different and then comes back again. It's you have to stick with it because it's a it's very there's a lot of religious it's almost it's almost like a propaganda film for the Catholic Church in a way, other than touching <laughs> boys. Um but it's it's for for me it was worth sticking with and I'm glad I, I did get through the uh, the the middle few episodes that it did go a bit off the rails mm-hmm. and it started to be drop a bit but it's not that long probably about nine episodes i think it's something like that so it's it's definitely worth a go and the, the other one was it's on youtube and it's it's a a documentary from 1993 called whatever happened to the knockers which again is not what you think it is <laughs> Boo. it's a bit <laughs> these um these west ham who former west ham hooligans who made a living by selling tea towels and stuff door to door in the eighties, <laughs> and so they, they, they'd have this documentary crew follow. I mean, this is how this even got. It was Channel Four as well commissioned it, so they got this camera crew to follow them around, being knockers in the eighties, selling tea towels and dodgy stuff to in, to a middle class um, just outside London suburbia, and so you got people like. The housewives and opening the doors, so, yeah, and they were making out that they were selling these things for the disabled kids. So you got a lot of very eighties language, and they, they get picked up in this van, <laughs> and then they, there's at one point where they, they, there's some Millwall on their patch as well, and they start beating each other with these outside this hardware shop, <laughs> and it's how how have you found this? It's just one of them things. It, it, you get the algorithms, and it recommends stuff. And I thought, well. I'll give it a go, and if you want, it's a snapshot of nineteen eighties slash early nineties Britain that's just mental. It's only about an hour long. <laughs> that sounds incredible. Something different, anyway, at least. Yeah. Um, so with Midnight Mass, I've got halfway through. I've just got to the point with where you find out what happened to the original priest. Yeah. It's been a bit of a slog to get there. Yeah. Is it really worth me persisting if I'm not loving it at the moment, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll, I'll try and get back on it at some point, either this weekend or next. Uh, also, I have watched Squid Game, and much like everyone else, the Gambu episode is 
masterful, just absolutely incredible. Uh, you've already mentioned Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Sure, you didn't like it. I think it's probably the best thing Marvel-related this year. <laughs> like, it's not good, but I had fun watching it, which is more than I can say for The Eternals, which I saw last Friday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Last Night in Soho was wonderful. Matt, where did you put that on your Edgar Wright list? Like, it's such a strong list of films that yeah, he's got, it isn't is. it? It's right up there, you know. I, I think... Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and World's End, five, ten, however many years on, still hold up exactly the same. If mm. Last Night in Soho will need to do that to be considered up in that elite list, whether it does or not, I don't know at the minute because obviously it's so it's so set in its time, not the sixties bit, the modern day mm. bit. That like you know, it heavily relies on what like London's like now and, and 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 like the technology of now. In ten years' time, will it feel a bit outdated? Maybe, um, mm. but from a storytelling point of view, it's right right up there, and it's really like shown with with again with a, give someone with talent creative license, let them play, and you'll get something magical. Mm. Um, so it, it, you know, it's up there, definitely up there. Yeah, I, I can't wait to watch it for the second, third and fourth time because I very mm. much get the impression that this is going to be the kind of film where you notice something new every time you watch it. Yeah, yeah. So I am really looking forward to, to getting back and seeing that one. Uh, I watched King Richard, which was the... Uh, there's a special early screening of the new Will Smith film. The film was fine, but like Will was really good in it. I don't know if he was portraying the man as he is because we sort of heard stories about the Williams's um father has been a bit of a prick mm-hmm. and he seemed like quite a jovial person so I don't know how true to life it is but it was an enjoyable film and it was a really good performance nonetheless I also watched The Card Counter last week which is the new Paul Schrader film I do like Paul Schrader I think he's a good writer and director he knows how to write films about men in going through shit basically who have gone through a rough time he's a really good writer the card counter is okay but i would recommend people watch first reformed i think that's a much better film with a real kick in the bollocks ending like a real horrible gut punch at the end of it Mm. Uh, and card counter i don't feel earned that gut punch at the end whereas first reformed absolutely did ethan hawke was tremendous in that film and I'll end it off with watching a film called Pool, which is a Thai horror movie off Shudder. And it is basically a man is in a pool. He's on a lilo. And for some reason, he falls asleep while someone is draining the pool. The pool drops below the level and it's an Olympic sized pool. He can't get out. An alligator goes in there with him. His girlfriend falls in. It's fucking insane. It's really good nonsense fun and foreign language. I think after watching Squid Game, I just wanted to watch more of the Far Eastern madness. So, yeah, Paul on Shudder was well worth the uh, the 90-minute runtime. Uh, so, going back to you now, Stu, for your question, please. We, we talk about some hard-hitting things on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, the changing of the seasons and stuff, and... The, it suddenly appeared in the sky to me, like, almost like a, a vision, and that there was a rainbow there, and I thought, why don't we have films about rainbows? But just why? When it, Care Bears aside, 
There's none. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I guess you're right, Stu. I mean, my my notes for this question was really to ask you questions in return. So, so what do you want? How, like, what do you want? Do you want the rainbow to be the character? Do you want the rainbow to be alive? Do you want the rainbow to give powers? What 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 is it that you want from these tales? Because I don't know other than, other than like, a rainbow. Let's, let's do the Mario sequel as Rainbow Road. And like I don't I don't know what you want from what want from the Rainbow World, Stu. Well, there, there's four films that you just reeled off. Four <laughs> four or four ideas about rainbows. So you could have them giving you powers. You could have them being something a government experiment about, and it's a, it's some kind of conspiracy with Luke Thompson in charge. You it could be it could be anything you want. Shock. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, look at all you have things about like. Like Geostorm and films like that. Geostorm's <laughs> great. What a film. I think the Why thing is that, that those kind of films, so you've got your Geostorm, The Mist, Snowpiercer obviously is about a storm that comes, Hurricane Heist, Sharknado, they're all about things that are like real events with an element of danger to them. Like a rainbow is just a bit of a shit cloud. It just sits there <laughs> and does nothing. It just looks pretty. So, but what if it was an evil rainbow, though? Yeah, what but if it, it still just sits there, like it, there's no element of, there's not even like an element of movement to it to be scared of. But unless you're that. scared of leprechauns, I suppose. <laughs> the, only, the only one I can see, mate, having any shot here is if you know how, like, all of a sudden we had films for like battleships and really like <laughs> yeah. inanimate things have films like board games if for some reason skittles just decide to do their own film the taste the rainbow film (laughs) and it's like they eat some skittles and then the whole world goes mad like lsd and they see things and then there's they uncover some kind of they solve a crime but they could only see it in this lsd trippy world when they're tasting the rainbow it's the only thing I can say is Jude. That sounds excellent. I would watch that. Vin Diesel well, attached to Star. I would watch that film. But you look at the, the, the Taste of Rainbow adverts where they all whether they fall into rainbow pieces whenever they touch things. I mean, you you could have rainbows that come from the sky and touch people and they disintegrate. Maybe, but I've got to say, like at least rainbows have got the sung market tied down. Like, still my sunshine umbrella. Um, it's raining men. Like none of them have got shit <laughs> on the Rainbow Connection by Kermit the Frog. So at least sure. rainbows have got the song. That's something at least, I suppose. Or the band Rainbow. Or the, or the TV show Rainbow. The TV show Rainbow. There you go. Now we're thinking with our heads. Now there you well, go. At, at least what we can categorically say is we will answer any question on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Very true. Uh, so, Matt, I'm coming to you next with your question, please. I want to talk about the golden oldies of film. Now, I, I, I wanted to, <laughs> I, when I first put the questions to you guys in the group, I was like, right, get your questions in, Andy had put. So I said, right, I want to talk about an actor that's had a, your favourite actor that's had a 40-year career. And then we looked back and we thought, fuck, that's only like the 80s. <laughs> so like that could be that's no one is it that's everyone so i an actor um with their work that started pre 
1969 because we're immature. Um, so your best actors with their work prior to 69. Andy? Robert De Niro is my all-time favourite actor. Not just of, you know, since pre-69. He is the ghost. He's the greatest. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly think like his first film was 1965 and obviously he's still working today. He defined 70s pictures or the, the, the look of 70s pictures in Mean Streets. He was in Godfather Part 2, Taxi Driver, Deer Hunter, all in the 70s. And then the 80s come around. They're just king of comedy. Once Upon a Time in America. Goodfellas was 1990. Marvin's Room was 96, where he was apparently mentoring a very young Leonardo DiCaprio. So obviously he's helping what we've come to know big stars as in in the modern day. Obviously Mm -hmm. we had Heat too in the 90s. And recently we got him in Joker on the other side of the the coin from Kings of Comedy. And, of course, The Irishman, for which he was Oscar-nominated. So, for me, like I can't look past Robert De Niro for any acting question, let alone one that's pre-1969. Fair. Fair, Stu. This is relatively easy. Michael Caine, straight away. <laughs> Italian job was in... Was it in 69? I've got to check now. I'm sure it, it was around I believe then. it was. Um... Yeah, he's, and again, he's, I think, get Carter, just absolute classics. But then someone who kind of, who's never really been away, <laughs> even doing things like The Island in the in the early 80s and stuff like that, where like, films that not many people have seen, but I think I'm, I must have watched a lot of these with, with Grandad and stuff. And like, Whistleblower, not great, but his performance, again, superb. But then he does nonsense like Jaws of Revenge. And <laughs> was, and, but then, again, he goes away for a bit. In, well, in the public consciousness. And then they get Carter remake. And then he's back again. And then he turns his, the uh, the comedy stuff where he's put Austin Powers. Is he, is he his dad? Yeah. Yeah, so it, things like that. And then obviously then the Batman trilogy. And then he, the whole Nolan verse. But then one of my favourite films of all time, obviously not <laughs> not the prestige because I only saw it last, <laughs> last year. But Harry Brown. I love Harry Brown. Mm. I, I thought he was absolutely incredible in that. And he never, gets, he never gets mentioned anywhere how good that film is. It doesn't actually, no. You are right. It's, it's one of his um, more overlooked movies. But I know I heard him on the Kermode and Mayo podcast uh, about a month or so ago, and he was talking about the next film up, which is bestsellers, is going to be his final performance. Um, apparently, I think he's having problems with his back. I can't think it's either his back or his legs, and he just can't do the job of, of being a leading man anymore, so he's calling it a day. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what this bestsellers is going to be about, if it's going to be his swan song just to, to see his send-off. Well, how old? He's got to be nearly 90, eh? At least. He is born in 1933. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he's had a hell of a career. He really has. Mm, well, mine, uh, mine was De Niro, but more as a celebration of his... how he's kind of hopped from kind of genre to genre 
seamlessly without it ever appearing kind of jarring or strange or being like, oh, I don't like De Niro in this. You know, we've got gritty realism of Taxi Driver mixed in with the mobster, the action hero kind of, not so much action hero, but, you know, more just an action film. And then he's kind of reinvention into comedy with like Meet the Fuckers as well. Meet the parents, you know, he was he was genuinely funny in these in these movies, and you know, he's gone and said done a you know a bit of tosh like leaving Las Vegas and stuff, um, leaving Last Vegas, I think it is, isn't it? Um, mm. And and you know, even that is fine. It's all right. Yeah. It's just, you know, he's just an actor that has just form is temporary, class is permanent, and that goes for films as well. Might put out the occasional stinker, but he's just. He's just tremendous in nearly everything he touches. Even when the film is shit, though, like he's still always the best thing in a film. Yeah, agreed. It's not like he he stinks the place out with any of his performances, which is something to behold, really. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm genuinely quite interested if someone could work out what his average score is on IMDb. If you worked out all of his films and divided it by the number, I can't imagine there are many actors who will have a number as high as he will. Yeah, I'd be I think like Pacino had that run up until the late nineties, and then his work just descended into parody. And I don't think Bob ever went that way. I think Pacino did, but I think Bob De Niro he kept the the gold standard. To be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my question is up next, and mine is about director who has spanned across generations. And obviously, having just discussed Robert De Niro. I want to talk about his longtime collaborator, Party Marty Scorsese. And I want to know what is the best Martin Scorsese movie? Stu? This is going to be one of the best and favourite things again. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So I think, I'm guessing that we're all going to say Goodfellas is going to be his best. But yeah. for me, my favourite one is Colour of Money. I love that film. That's a left-field choice. I was not expecting that. Great film, though. Yeah, you are right. Again, lost to his, lost to history and time. No one ever talks about it, ever. Even Tom Cruise, I've never heard him speak about it. No one ever asks him about it. <laughs> I mean, it he's kind of coming. When when was it? I mean, it's... 86. Yeah, so it, a very, very early. So, yeah. It's, a, it's got the sport angle. It's got the gangs. Well the kind of smooth talking angle. It's it's just got everything about it. And, it, and it's shot amazingly as well. For for a film of the mid eight it, it well, it screams 80s as well, which obviously <laughs> I've been uh, on record as saying how much I love the 80s on here before, but I just really love Colour of Money. And uh, it's one of them films, I, I haven't seen it for a long, long time, probably about 20 odd years. Yeah, I really point. want to watch it again now. <laughs> I'm but just yeah, looking I, at the cast list as well. So you've got... Paul Newman's in there. He's one who could easily have been in your question just now. I mean, he had a mm. great career. Yeah, Paul Newman, John Turturro, love John Turturro. Bill Cobbs, that's a strong cast. Ron yeah. Dean, like there's faces that you recognise from Scorsese's other movies. Good choice. So you're saying that that's your favourite, but you reckon Goodfellas is his best? Yeah, Goodfellas or Raging Bar, but. Goodfellas is the the go to film for a reason because he's just fucking classy. Mm. Matt, yeah, I'd agree with you, but I mean, I don't think Casino gets the the love it deserves. 
Um, mm. I think Casino would be held in higher regard if Goodfellas didn't exist. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. That's it's this. It's the Goodfellas is, is the sexier older brother. Well, not it's the older brother, but um, it's just more pizzazz, isn't it? Really, it's mm. it's a shame. But um, in terms of my favourite, though, I guess I mean I can't look really past Taxi Driver for me. Was so it, 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 I saw it at a time when I really did feel like an outsider to the rest of the world. Like I was finding my feet musically, I was finding my feet with a, a, a clothing style, and I was, I just, I, you know, I was growing up, and then I very much felt like an outsider as well. And I thought, oh man, I get it. I'm not going to go out and try and shoot a president or whatever it is, or a senator. <laughs> Um, but I just felt something towards this film on more than a couple of occasions in my life. I've gone for a Bickle haircut as well. Um, but also the Wolf on Wall Street is just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and it was so like, what a breath of fresh air that was as a film at the time. It was just something else. It's just, it's so bombastic, so over the top, so crazy. You can you can believe it actually happens in that world. Um, and it was just a really great film that, for me, just come out of left field. It's a true mm. story as well. Oh, I know. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've read read I've read into the blaze, does seminars and all sorts. Yeah, it's supposed to be a bit of a prick in real life. <laughs> like it makes for a good film, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've ranked my top five, assuming that one of you two would take my answer before we got there, but you actually didn't. My favourite is Raging Bull, which I also think is his best movie. I, I think it's like it's a work of art. It's absolutely phenomenal. And it ties very much in with my love of Robert De Niro as well. I think they go hand in hand, really. I think that Scorsese is as good as he is because of De Niro, and I think De Niro is as good as he is because of Scorsese. And that performance in Raging Bull was just wonderful. Although I do love the story of Jake LaMotta turning to his ex-wife, as, as she was at the time, asking, was I really that bad after watching the film? And she just turns to him and said, no, you were much worse. Mm. Which I, I thought was quite a lovely little story. Um, but yeah, I think that is such a great film. The black and white bits then juxtaposed to the colour photography bit in the middle of the movie. It comes out of nowhere, but it really has that impact of showing the life that they lead I just I think Raging Bull is wonderful and I love the bit at the end when he's turned comedian rather than the, the boxer that he was and obviously putting all that weight on for the role so yeah Raging Bull is my favourite Scorsese film second place was Goodfellas third place was Wolf of Wall Street then Taxi Driver and then King of Comedy which I think is a wonderful movie so that is us done for another week. Next week, we've got a picture pod coming up and we're moving away from Cage for the next couple of, for next week. We're going to be looking at Netflix's biggest ever movie, uh, which is going to be starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot. And it is called Red Notice. Uh, it went live on the 12th of November, which would be last Friday. So give it a watch and then you can join us next week for the podcast on that one. Please make sure that you're subscribed and that you've got us down to listen to every episode every single week. Uh, if you can send any questions that you may have to us on Twitter, as Matt said earlier, it's at cagefightingpod or emails to cagefightingpod at gmail.com. So for this week, 
Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Look after yourselves. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Yeah, um, before I say goodbye, I am, um, for the first time on recorded audio, um, uh, congratulations to my brother Mark and his girlfriend Vicky on the birth of their new baby boy, which is kind of all planned, all healthy. Um, Cooper, welcome aboard. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. So thanks for sticking around after the credits have rolled for your post-credit treat. Um, gentlemen, the, one of the biggest films of the year was released a couple of three weeks ago at this point, And that would be Denis Villeneuve's June. We have all seen it at this point. In a word, Matt, what were your thoughts? In a word, well, I can't use it. I, I think I text I, when I came out going, what a fucking mess that was. <laughs> now, I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. I just think that it hop, skipped and jumped from genre to genre to plot to thick to, to tone and everything so much that I was, I was utterly exhausted by the end of it. Um, I really, really enjoyed the space politics element of it at the start, the Game of Thrones in the Sky element at the start and how it was going into this kind of ecclesiastical sci-fi drama that it was becoming. But then out of nowhere, that all that ended and all of the... all of the Actually, do we need to do a spoiler alert first? This is going to be hella spoiler heavy, so... <laughs> uh, okay, um, um, when everyone starts to fucking die, all the interesting characters die... I'm just like, oh, we've we've wasted all of this time on all of these really like enjoyable characters for it to just be about the bloody Star Wars sand people. It mm. felt I felt so cheated at the end. I was like, oh man, I've gone through all of this. And I'm gonna have to do it all over again for whatever half baked part two and three that they do. I, it was, you know, it was a mess. It was a mess. Stu, in a word, stunning. <laughs> I, I, I loved it. Absolutely, I, loved, I absolutely loved it. And for context, I, I don't really remember the eighties film or miniseries or whatever it was. I don't. <laughs> I remember seeing clips of it. I've definitely seen it, but you're talking a long, long time ago. Probably when I was a kid. So, having not read the books because I'm not a complete nerd. This was like a completely new thing to me. And it took me, like Matt just said about the Game of Thrones in the sky, which he kind of is, I suppose, but all the different... I loved how it completely owned what it is. And it just completely went It went there. There was no explanation for any of the madness that was going on. Hmm. All the all the kind of the words like the voice and things like that. Nothing was really explained. You don't... It took me about an hour into the film to have any idea what the hell was going on. Which normally, I say, well, yeah, that's bad storytelling and it's annoying, but I was never annoyed at any point in this film. It was probably 10 minutes too long for what it was. But at the same time, it was such a spectacle. I mean, it's probably not going to be the same watching it on telly admittedly but as a spectacle watching it in super screen in this case 
it was just stunning to look at. And it, obviously, it was Dolby Atmos as well. So you had the sound and the booming and everything. I was just, I was one of them things. It, it was one of them rare moments where I was completely lost for words when I came out. I thought, I don't know what I think about that. Mm. But it, it was in a good way. It wasn't like coming out of fucking Eternals and thinking this is the worst out of all 26. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I went straight on. But if I, in a weird way, if I didn't know that it, it was a two-parter and the, the second part wasn't even guaranteed, I probably wouldn't have bothered going. But mm. thankfully, obviously, we've got to get two and probably three now. Yeah. And I'm going to watch this again and again and again. And you can see how much... It's weird because obviously there's a lot of things that have been based on the original fiction. So mm-hmm. this being released now, it's almost like, oh, well, Sarlacc Pits and all that. It's, it's just copycat, but obviously it's not because it's it's the original. It's just light. So you have to get your mind around that for a bit first. But other than that, I just loved it. I, I absolutely <laughs> hated the film. I mean, I, I sent a voice note to our group chat as I was walking out the cinema. You could hear the background of the film because I needed to vent. Put it in. I, if I, yeah, if I can find it, I will drop it in. I absolutely fucking detested this movie <laughs> from the very first moment when this screen when the card came up and it said June Part One. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be the first part of a fucking trilogy or whatever it is. I didn't know that at the time. It hadn't been announced until after the the first screening and I was there for the unlimited showing, so it was before the, the general release. So that pissed me off before the film even started. As you said, Stu, they went straight into talking about Abraxis and all these other bollocks that I've no idea what they're talking about. I'm like, at least catch me up on where we're going with this nonsense. They then killed off some of the, the the characters who I want to see, the actors who I like. They then get rid of early doors and leave me with fucking Timothy Chalamet, who is a spaceman called Paul, which... <laughs> I'm sorry, but no. I just couldn't get over any of it. And then they kept teasing Zendaya, who I genuinely quite like in everything else I've seen her in. And then we get two minutes of her at the end, and I'm like, no, you, mm. you've just fucked me off throughout this. Yes, it was visually stunning, like the giant space sand anus. That that looked incredible. The sound was wonderful. They will win an Oscar for sound editing. I have absolutely no doubt about it. But the rest of the film, I hated. It was the <laughs> worst part of Star Wars Episode Two: um, Attack of the Clones. All of that bollocks in the space parliament and i just didn't care and I, I could feel the hate from the other people around me i genuinely don't think i was the only one i felt like everyone was just pro- projecting hatred towards the screen <laughs> but this is every screen that you ever go in something happens to you so this is it no does surprise. seem like it. it does seem like it although when i went to see ron's gone wrong last week it was great because there was nobody else in there it was just me and i loved it <laughs> i think the problem with june is and the reason I'm reserving judgment quite yet is that I think when we watch it as a completed, finished article and we see its complete journey from start to finish, 
it has the potential to be an epic. I don't mean epic as a good thing, just a multi, you know, a long faceted, long storytelling thing. And so at the moment we're at like, we've only opened the door and it's so I'm not writing it off completely yet, but it, it just felt like we'd gone through all of that to then start the story again, almost from scratch. Just didn't sit right with me. And if he's called Paul, why can't there be somebody else that's called Keith or do you know what I mean? Or like Kevin or anything in there? Like why Paul? Why Paul? Like, I don't know if there's like a St. Paul thing going on there, like, or some kind of mythology or something, but it really took you out of like the, the, um, deniability of everything that's going on by the fact that mm. they just kept calling him Paul. It's very Paulist, this is. <laughs> Got no problems with Paul if Paul is maybe, I don't know, a plumber or a tradesman or just yeah. not not uh, the son of a king in space. Mm. Yeah, you had of... Paul, you had Jessica and Duncan Idaho. For fuck's sake. <laughs> that is terrible writing. <laughs> but, the, yeah, I think... Eventually, there'll be like kids called Tootin and stuff like that, which names come around again from the Middle Ages. So, if this is that far in the future, Tootin may- is that is a it- name? Well, That's in Carmoon. Yeah, you- I don't think we'll have Egyptian names come back in England, though, Stu. You you watch. <laughs> I think we'll have a baby Keith before we have a baby Tootin. Yeah, I think put so. money on that. Yeah, little baby Keith. One thing uh, one of our listeners put out on Twitter, um, Azra3L, um, it's the longest trailer for a movie that I've ever seen. <laughs> and I thought that summed it up perfectly because this first film didn't give us anything, really. And at the very end of the movie, Zendaya even says, this is just the beginning or whatever it was. So it very much did feel like it was a trailer for what's to come. And like I've said before, I'm not a massive fan of the Lord of the Rings films, but I do feel that each one of those films in themselves does have a beginning, middle and end, whereas this didn't. This was just all beginning. Yeah, and they were made together as well. This is yeah. going to be... If this is, I mean, looking at how many Dune books there is as well, even if this is a, this is a Villeneuve trilogy, which he seems to want, then fine, don't do that. But this could never end. This will carry on for years and years and years. Yeah, this will like outlive the fucking MCU. I went into HMV the other day, and I'm there was easily ten books when I looked there. There was loads. I hadn't realised how how big this story was. I don't know if they're all about Paul or what, but yeah, it's huge, <laughs> isn't it? It's Graham in the next one. <laughs> Graham, Steve, and uh, Clive in space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like. The, you know, the, the my mate who I went with, like, about an hour and a bit into the film, he looked at me and he just mouthed, like, do you know what the fuck's going on? And I was like, <laughs> nah, nah, I've got a clue what's going on, mate, to be honest. Like, all of a sudden, we've got these witchy witches and stuff that's in there. And I thought, oh, is this going, like, down the route of, like, 300? And all of a sudden, it's gone from, like, just these, like, going from war to the supernatural out of nowhere or something like, I don't really like, I just didn't, I just didn't understand it tonally. It was just all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I couldn't, it was only, it was, it, it, I'm not saying it's got to be, I'm not saying it has to be an easy watch. I'm not saying it's got to dumb itself down, 
but at least kind of keep your tone consistent. Don't hop and skip from, you know, Downton Abbey in space to like some kind of Sahara safari dodging monsters kind of story. Do you know what I mean? It was just all over the place. You know, I never thought I'd see the day where you know, you know, fat bastard from uh, Austin Powers floating in a space opera. That was uh, that was a nice <laughs> yeah. surprise. But the cast, I mean, it had such a good cast, a proper strong cast. And I felt really cheated that we barely got to see anything of um, Dave Batista. We barely got to see anything of, oh, fuck, director of Thor 2, uh, Thor 1, Kenneth Branagh. Like, they were in it momentarily. And like, these are actors who I pay to see. These are actors I like. And I bet cumulatively they probably had about to 120 seconds worth of screen time. It just but felt short-changed. But they've signed up for this knowing full well what their role was as well, which says how good it is. Mm, I don't know. It, it, it definitely hasn't made me want to go back and watch part two. I've got to be brutally honest. It's rare that I want to quit halfway through a film, but yeah. I, I was strongly tempted to walk out. It was, <laughs> it, it was not for me at all. Was there anything post-credits? Did either of you stay long enough to check that? No. No, no, I, no there was nothing. I was there long enough. I didn't you any more of a fucking time. One thing, like, as as we're talking about it, one moment, which, to me, I was like, ugh, gah. We're talking about, I don't know, I was about to call them the Hymen, but it's the Hemen, is it? The Hemen? <laughs> yeah. Remen. Um, the Remen. The Remen. They're to be this, the Fremen. Yeah, the Fremen. It's, it's, it's free money. Oh, okay. They're the free um, men of the land. They're meant Fremen. to be these most absolute badass killer warriors. And this fucking Paul, who gets battered <laughs> at the start of the film, and he's just this pussy who just doesn't know how to fight. <laughs> just dispatches of this guy with such ease at the end of the movie. Like, he's just... Like, it ain't nothing to him. Like, he's toying mm-hmm. with him. Like, the way a cat toys with a mouse. What's going on there? These are meant to be, like, absolute merciless... Merciless... Bastards who like cannot be killed, and he and they just fucking dispatches of him like that. Mm. What's this, what's going on there, Stu? Pair of the voice. Cool. That's not an answer. Cool, <laughs> the Fremen, and like this is to slightly change the subject, but the Fremen they're supposed to be basically um, North African is their lineage, I believe. It really bugs me when that they didn't try and at least honour that, like at least have a little bit of representation. We ended up with like Latinos and stuff in there. Like, right, okay, you've got, you've, you've tried to put a little bit of variation in there, but at least try and make it look consistent. So these, this Fremen just seemed like it was a ragtag group of people from here, there and everywhere, and not the actual people they were supposed to be. I don't think he did a particularly good job with the representation in this film, if I'm being brutally honest. Well, it's. I don't think it matters that much in a thing where there's people with blue eyes and <laughs> a drinking straw up the nose for for no real reason. I mean, the, the only thing that I wanted to know more about the spice and what it, exactly it was and what it does, because is it some kind of? I know they said that it powers everything, but does it? Is it like petrol? Is it? Does it power it in this in the way that? they get so high that they fall asleep for years on end. And that's why it seems like quick travel or I've not, not known the books. I've no idea. 
So maybe that they go into that in the second and third one as well. It just felt like a MacGuffin. Like it, it had no real purpose other than to just drive the plot along. That's sort of that's all I assumed it was, because it just it felt like they just needed something to get them there, and that was why they was there for this spice, which is like that's again it, that's just a bit poorish, isn't it? Like it, it's just like the most easy thing that they could have called it. It's Unobta- like unobtainium. unobtainium. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm. it yeah. They, they, they call it black mamba or something like that. <laughs> well, that, that's that's one for the uh, for the people if, you, if you're still sticking around if you want the youtube documentaries there's a half hour documentary on the uh the black man rapid in wolverhampton about five years ago yeah, it's, oh, it's an excellent tell, watch to be fair don't tell tara she's got enough things to bash us about with wolverhampton <laughs> much less um much less black mamba in wolvo <laughs> mm. <laughs> right we'll leave it there but i'm gonna ask you one question before we go so June part two will presumably be out in 2023. I'm guessing we won't see it up until before then. Will you be there day one or will you be there at all, Matt? Is it, are you going to be uh, taking part I'll, two um, in? Or? Yeah, for the reasons that I want to judge this thing in its completion, mm-hmm. um, if that's going to be 10, 15 years' time, then maybe not. But I want to give it the opportunity to tell its full story before I condemn it to the fiery pits of hell. Fair. Stu? Same question. Definitely there day one. If, if not day one, I'll be there the first week. Um, and the, it, this might be my first ever 4K Blu-ray. <gasps> wow. Incredible. I've, I've held off of what buying films I've already seen and already own. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be something special. And I don't think uh, Matrix Resurrection <laughs> is going to be that. So, uh, some as visually stunning and that needs all the guffing. This has got every chance when I buy mm. it in a, in a year's time. I've decided my first 4K is going to be Last Night in Soho. I, I just think that I just want to see that in the best picture I possibly can. Uh, as for the question, burn it with fire. I am. I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. So next time when we've when you've watched June two, you two can do this one on your own. I won't be here. For <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. So that's us done again. Next week's film is going to be Red Notice. Get it watched, and we shall see you down the road. <laughs>